0: Well, welcome everybody, very glad to see all of you guys, particularly impressed that you all braved the incredibly frigid weather. Um, It's quite alarming, but it's fine. Um, Welcome, glad you're here. This is our second uh, meeting of our six-week parenting class. If this is your first time here um, and you haven't done it already, there is a um, kind of a protector thing here, right over there. Uh, Along with some handouts, the ones over there have come pre-stuffed with last week's handout. Um, And then this week's handout is off to the side there. So the idea is at the end, you have all six of the weeks together in one nice clean spot. So those are over here, name tags in the back, plenty of refreshments. You guys feel free to, um, throughout the the morning, um, if you need to top off your coffee or get a snack, very informal here. Just um, enjoy yourself. Um, some of you saw the food sign up. Appreciate you guys for, for bringing stuff, those that did. Um, if you are interested in participating in bringing snacks, which are kind of a fun element to our class, um, Beth is going to text and email those out uh, this week. And feel free to jump on that sign up genius and and uh, bring something for the, the following weeks, as we'll be here till February. Yes? Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good segue. I'm glad you asked. So we have an attendance clipboard here. Um, And so I'm going to start it on this table. I think it missed a couple of tables last time. So if we could kind of try to snake it, like if we go this way and then to the back and then snake it and then to the front, see if we can hit all the tables this time. That would be great. (laughs) If your name is not on the list, which should have been updated. If it's not on the list, Uh, Fill out one of these cards and we will get you registered for the class. Um, And if you are on the list, just please highlight your name so that we know that you are here. And I'll start that um, right here. Well, again, thank you for coming to our biblical parenting class. This is our second session. It's going to focus primarily on the responsibilities of parents, discipline in particular. We saw last session that if we are rightly understanding the family, then we will rightly live um, in our family. And we have to understand and embrace the fact that our families are just one part of God's greater design for us and for his kingdom and for his children. Family and parenting is one small piece of God's greater design. God is doing something greater than just our families, doing something greater than just building families. And that is he is redeeming a people by his son for his son, um, ultimately doing it all for his glory. And family is just one means that God uses to bring that about. Now, it is a very, very important piece. It is a very important piece. It's a very vital one. But family is not in and of itself the end of our, or our goal. If we make family our goal, making our families. Whatever it is in your mind that that this would be the perfect family, if that is your goal, then you are missing it entirely because the goal is the glory of God. The goal is the spread of the kingdom, and if we go about you know learning in this class simply from taking, you know, focusing on ourself, maybe our career or our marriage or something else, and we shift that focus to just focusing on families, then we've just basically ex, um, ex, um, exchanged idols from. Self to our children. Because anything else than a life spent living for Christ, hoping in Christ, treasuring Christ, and proclaiming Christ is idolatry. Okay, so our vision for parenting must be more about ourselves, must be more than about our kids, but it needs to be about the glory of God, which means that that is the passion and and the pursuit of our life. And last time we saw that to be a faithful and biblical parent, we need to have a Christ centered life, and we need to be Christ-centered parents. Our life and family must revolve around Christ and not us and not our kids. And if that's true, and it is, since that's true, then our greatest desire for our kids is that they would share in that same passion that we have, that same pursuit. And towards the end of last week, we talked about the fact that we as parents need to view ourselves as being instruments in the Redeemer's hands, instruments of change that God can use to transform the hearts of our children um, into uh, worshipers of the Lord. So what do we do as parents to be instruments, to bring them up to that reality, to to change their hearts, to focus on the Lord? Well, ultimately, we can be instruments in the Redeemer's hands, but we cannot change our children's hearts. But the rest of this class is largely going to be about what we do as parents. So if you want to turn in your Bibles first to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin there. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Actually, let's back up and start in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, if we just kind of break this down quickly, fa- he's, this instruction is to fathers, which is, you know, it's true that the primary responsibility of the household falls on the shoulders of us as um, the heads of our house, uh, of our house. To fathers, headship and responsibility of the family ultimately is on our shoulders. But this applies; this command applies to both parents and he says do not provoke your children to anger your version might say wrath we don't want to provoke our children and we're going to learn a little bit more about that towards the end of our time this morning but the negative is do not provoke your children to anger the positive is what do we do is we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction to the lord or of the lord and these are the two primary responsibilities and these are the two primary tools in our toolbox to uh, that the Lord has given us. Discipline and instruction. And we're going to focus our time today on the first of those, which is discipline or training. Paul states that we are to bring them up. and there in Ephesians 6, 4. Bring them up. And if you look back at verse 29 of chapter 5, he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. That word for nourish is the same word that Paul uses there in uh, 6.4, to bring them up. We are to bring up our children or we are to nourish them. Used as a metaphor of Christ in the church, his bride, his children as our God, he nourishes us. He brings them up for his bride. He, he makes sure that there is no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we would be holy and blameless before him. And so he, that's the same word that Paul uses here, that we are to nourish and bring our children children up you can think of a gardener that's nourishing plants a gardener seeks for the best environment the best soil chemistry searches for the best food to nourish their plants you know you learn and you do what's necessary to ensure the growth of these plants that you really want to grow you know the tools of a gardener might be a greenhouse for the environment and fertilizer for the soil might use a tiller to make sure the soil is right to weed out, you get a weeding tool and a pruner to make sure that it's growing the way it should. Those are the tools of the trade for a gardener. And when we are bringing up our children, the tools that God has given us is training or discipline and instruction, or your version might say admonition. And so this very concise verse here, Hebrews 6, 4, gives us great instruction on how we are to bring up our children. And last you'll notice here that it says the training and admonition or discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, this is Christ-centered, right? He is the focus of what we're about. It is for Christ, but also the specifically in the grammar, he is the source of our parenting. To be training and uh, the training and admonition or discipline and instruction are prescribed by the Lord through parents. And so if you and I want to get our um, directive, we need to go to scripture. That is what the Lord has given us as he is training us to, 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 to train our children. Now, before we get too far, as we look at this verse, this is part of a greater context. The first three chapters of Ephesians are um, you know very doctrine-centered. Okay? Doctrinal truths are in the first three chapters. What God has done for us what Christ has done for us the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation who we are in Christ God has elected us before the foundation of the world he has called us to be his children he has died for us he has saved us by grace through faith in him he has sealed us in him he has empowered us to live a Christ-centered life all of that is laid out in the first three chapters and then when you turn the page to chapter uh, to verse 4 of Uh, chapter 4 verse 1 he says therefore i the prisoner of the lord implore you to walk worthy of the manner in which you've been called all of these truths are who you are in christ now walk worthy of that and in uh, chapter 5 verse 1 he says therefore in light of everything that you are in christ be imitators of god as dear children we are children of god in christ and so walk in this way again in in chapter 5 verse 18 he says to be controlled by the spirit so faithfulness as a parent starts with your submission to Christ. It starts with the fact that you are born again and then you can walk worthy of that as you seek to, to be instruments of change in the hearts of your children. And that's true uh, as a wife who want, wants to walk worthy. There's instructions in chapter five how you do that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and also gave himself for her. Husbands in chapter four verses five to 30 to, to 32. And now as a parent in chapter six, all that we do flows to who we are as children of God and his work in us as we seek to be instruments in the changed heart of our kids. So, but Ephesians 6, 4, to be faithful, God gives us two things and that's discipline and instruction, two nouns that are very similar but slightly different to bring our children up in the Lord. The first, discipline, is what we're gonna focus on uh, for the next couple of weeks. Parental responsibilities, discipline, This likely refers, according to Stuart Scott, to structured guidance and restraint. Structured guidance and restraint. Okay, this word is found elsewhere in the New Testament. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 here in just a bit. And over and over and over again, this word appears. It's talking about discipline, structured guidance and restraint. Hebrews 12, 5, uh, verse 7, 8, 11. In... um, Second Peter 3.16, Paul again uses this word. He says, all scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God and profitable for several things. Teaching, reproof, correction. And there he uses our word. He says, training in righteousness. So this is structured guidance, restraint, and training. The second verb he uses, which we're gonna look at um, in a few weeks, is instruction. This is more verbal instruction or warning. These are the two things God has given us um, and uh, to, to train our kids. The second word of instruction appears in 2 Corinthians ten eleven. He says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written, written for our instruction. All the things that God wrote in the Old Testament were written for a particular purpose, and they were for our instruction or our warning. He says in Titus three ten, Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. After instructing somebody over and over again twice, you are to reject them. So we usually think of verbal instruction as being easier. It's a lot easier to sit on your couch and just tell your kids, stop it, stop it, stop it, right? But that's not really verbal instruction, right? It's easier to talk to them and, 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 than it is to actually get up and discipline them. But we're gonna look at discipline. Both are very vital, but today and next week we're gonna focus on discipline. Now when the Bible speaks of discipline, it does that in two different ways, okay? Corrective discipline and formative training. Okay, so corrective discipline. The Bible will use words like discipline, chastise, chasten, reproof, or correction. This is discipline that is in response to sin. Okay, you're you're applying a tactile sting, maybe physically, or um, you know, maybe it's, it's a real sting, and maybe it's just a metaphor, or whatever. But it's a, a tactile response to their sin. So they can connect foolishness with pain in a way. Um, It is a consequence to actions or words. And so part of what we're doing is corrective discipline. The other part of this discipline is formative training. Okay, so the Bible will use words like discipline or train or instruct. This is the preemptive training. So I don't know how many of you guys played football or maybe a sport growing up, but I played football a little bit in middle school and then high school and then I stopped. But in football practice, you, a coach has a player run, right? All the players run. Now, that could happen in two, for two, two different reasons. One could be formative. You need the, the kids to get into shape, right? So they don't lag in the fourth quarter. You're building up that, their stamina so you can win the game in the fourth quarter. That's formative. You're doing this to, to, to help them. It's also corrective. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they're jumping off sides. Maybe their mind's not in the game and so you would make them run to correct that. Both are discipline or training and as parents, we need to do both, okay? We can look at it a, a similar way. Your kid, you might have your child clean the bathroom or clean out the garage and that could be formative, right? Might be a regular routine, kind of an expectation that they do intended towards Formative training so that they can learn to work hard. They can learn to serve other people. They can learn to do kind of gross and unpleasant things that they're gonna have to do their whole life. And so, you know, they need to learn how to take care of their home. And so formatively, you're training them on how to do that. But that same thing that they're doing, that same job could be used as a consequence for sin in their life. They've disobeyed mom, and so when dad gets home, he assigns them a job or whatever that looks like in your home. And so you assign them to clean out the garage or assign them to, to clean the bathroom as a response to their sin. But tonight, or today rather, we're going to look at five realities that shape how our discipline and training. Both that which is corrective in response to sin and formative as, or preemptive training for the future. And firstly, we're going to look at that your, dis, your discipline must be shaped by the nature of your children. Your discipline must be shaped by the nature of your children. So first, our children are made in the image of God. They are made in the image of God. We saw this last week in, in uh, Genesis 1, We as human beings are made in the image of God. And there is, there is a honor and a dignity that people have. And this extends to your children. And so there's a reason that we train our kids much differently than we would train our dog, right? Because dogs do not bear the image of God. We had dogs growing up and there was a difference on how my dad trained the dog and how he trained us, thankfully, right? Because children carry the image of of God and dogs don't. So when we discipline our kids, we need to be very careful not to humiliate them. Or we don't want to harm them, right? This is, again, a temporary sting, literally or figuratively. We don't want to cause any permanent damage, either emotionally, spiritually, or physically. So the way we discipline them should reflect this reality and should reflect the fact that they are image bearers of God. And next, we need to understand that they will exist for all eternity, either in heaven or hell. That is, as we we seek to discipline our kids, and they're shaped by the nature of our children, we need to remember that they will exist for eternity. This means that there's more at stake than just this life for our kids. This gives us motivation. You know, getting back to the dog situation, right? Growing up, my dad was our dog trainer. He wasn't a very good dog trainer, but he tried, right? And eventually, as the dog gets older and you don't really care, right? He's doing what he's doing and you can't teach an old dog new tricks and you just kind of forget about it and it doesn't really matter because it's a dog, right? And it's gonna die soon anyway, so it doesn't really matter. That's different than our kids, okay? Much different than our kids because although God is sovereign over the hearts of our children, we would never give up on our kids. We are gonna continue to minister the gospel. We're gonna continue to do everything we can to be instruments in the Redeemer's hand to change the heart of our children we, so this reminds us the fact that they exist for eternity to target the heart it reminds us that this is a spiritual battle it reminds us to pray for our kids consistently because only God is going to be able to do this so those alone are important but those don't really explain the need for discipline so next the nature of our children is that they are sinners they are sinners so what do most people in the U.S. believe is the moral nature of children? What do you guys think? They're right. They're basically good. That is the, what most people believe, at least what most people believe before they actually have kids, is that they are you know, morally good or maybe neutral, right? And how would that affect your parenting? If you believe that kids are... are Naturally good or morally neutral? How might that affect the way that you parent them? What's that? A lack of yeah, yeah, you. Correct a lot of bad habits. You're going to miss a lot of things okay. You'll miss a lot of things. Right. That's exactly right. You know, the implication is that we simply need to cultivate the goodness that's already in them, and don't mess it up. If we don't mess it up, they're going to be just fine. You know, tread water, don't rock the boat. You know, the good seed is already planted in there. We just need to make sure that no one poisons it and it's gonna bear fruit. Now, that it's true that kids are born with a moral compass. God gives, gives everybody a, a conscience. They know right from wrong because God gives all of us a conscience. But we do not, they don't, we don't, naturally follow that compass. It says to go north and we don't even know why, but we're like, I'm going south. That's just what I'm gonna do, right? We naturally want to rebel against the God-given conscience that we have. And so Proverbs 22:15 says this, and it instructs us about really the heart of our child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Your children have a problem. And it's the same problem that you have and it's the same problem that I have. And that is that we are born sinners. Foolishness, or your version might say folly, is bound up in their heart. Now this foolishness doesn't mean silliness. Kids are childish and they're silly and they're supposed to be. This word doesn't mean that they're silly. It means that they have no fear of God. Foolish rebellion, a lack of fear of God is tied to, their kid, to, to our kids. John Kitchen says that this describes a hardened case of moral stubbornness or stupidity. Okay? That's what this word means. Jeremiah 17, 9 echoes this. It says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is the nature of the problem. Your child's fundamental problem is not a lack of knowledge. If it was a lack of knowledge, then a good heart to heart or just getting them knowledge would solve the problem. But that's not the nature of the problem. Your children are not morally or ethically neutral or they would simply just need instruction and they wouldn't need discipline. But the nature of the problem is that they are foolish, sinful, and morally stubborn. Okay, so J.C. Ryle says, Remember, children are born with a decided bias toward evil. And therefore, if you let them choose for themselves, they are certain to choose wrong. The mother cannot tell what her tender infant may grow up to be, tall or short, weak or strong, wise or foolish. Here may or may not be any of these. It's all uncertain. But one thing the mother can say for certain is that he will have a corrupt and sinful heart. It is the nature of us to do wrong. Our hearts are like the earth on which we tread, let it alone, and it is sure to bear weeds. And this foolishness is not just a a small part of your child's makeup. But this verse tells us that it is bound up in the heart of our child, inextricably tied. It's dyed in the wool, right? And what can wash away the crimson stain of blood, uh, red, of our kids? It's the blood of Christ. Only He can do that. So there's something wrong with your child's heart, and it's like that from birth. The Bible claims that children are born sinners, Psalm 51, five: Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. So they need somebody to help them remove it because it's inseparable on their own. And so God gave them you. God gave them parents who can discipline them because the verse says, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Your kids desperately need Discipline and it is the rod that is prescribed. Now this is used literal as an instrument to spank with and we're gonna get to kind of the, the how of how this is done in a, in a loving and wise way next week. It's used literal for an instrument to spank them with and it's also used as just a metaphor for discipline. Spanking is not the only form of discipline that we have but it is a, an invaluable tool that's prescribed by God. And God uses the rod correctly administered by a parent that loves the Lord and loves their child to open the child's ears, soften the heart and to help remove this foolishness far from them to instill a fear of the Lord and Lord willing, a love for God. And you'll notice that this is not the rod of anger. It's not the rod of frustration. It's not the rod of last resort when you've tried everything else. No, this is the rod of discipline the heart behind the rod is loving correction the rod of discipline so and then we look if we look at proverbs 23 13 to 14 we'll kind of see the urgency of this yes so i understand that we as parents are to discipline our kids in a loving manner and you might answer the question more next week but you know we as parents are still sinners too yeah so Yeah. Good question. I'm going to get into kind of how to do this in a way that's, that is helpful and how we can do this in a way that it's not helpful next week. But by and large, you have to, again, think of your child's heart. Do this in a loving way. Never do it in anger. Right? This is not you taking your anger out on your child. This is you, following the instructions of the Lord, lovingly correcting your child. And so never do it when you're impatient. Never do it, never spank your kids when you're anger, when you're angry. Um, And those are some principles. But we're going to get into that, you know, more in depth next week. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, there there is sin. Like the rod is used as a corrective tool uh, because of sin, but it's also a tra- it's also training. This training and discipline—that's the same word—and it's is so you that that does train them to not do that again because of the the ultimately the sting that you're applying. And we'll get into this next week. But very very good questions. Um, Proverbs twenty three fourteen thirteen and fourteen says. Do not hold back discipline from your child. Although you strike them with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Discipline is a rescue mission designed by God to help save your child from hell. And that's why it's important that we do this discipline, not focused on the behavior modification, but focused on the heart. Again, a balance of God's sovereignty and our responsibility But we must use the means that God has given us to accomplish that end. And primarily, it's the use of the rod, which is physical discipline. So understanding the nature of our kids helps us recognize the importance of parental discipline. John Engle James says this in The Christian Father's Present to His Children. He says this, A gardener must sow the choicest seed. So that's like our instruction. That's what we're telling our kids verbally. We we need to tell them what to do and what not to do. The gardener may sow the choicest seeds, but if he neglects to pluck up the weeds and prune the wild overgrowth, he must not expect to see flowers grow or his garden flourish. And so a parent may deliver the best instructions, but if he does not by discipline eradicate evil tempers, bad habits, repress wicked corruptions, then nothing excellent can be looked for. So we do all of those things, and that pruning process includes physical discipline. So the next principle that shapes our discipline is the fact that our discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of his children. We saw in Ephesians 5.1 that we are to be imitators of God. We're to be imitators of God. We're to do what he does. And so if we look at how God disciplines his children, that's instructive to us. We can have the same attitude. We can do the same things that God does for us. So why don't you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this will give us a good picture of God's discipline. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's important for us to understand the way that God disciplines in his heart towards his children that will allow us to shape how we interact with our kids and shape how we discipline our kids. And this is an account in Deuteronomy. uh, This is an account of God, how God dealt with the children in the wilderness, okay? Which he was disciplining them. They had sinful unbelief and God disciplined them by allowing them to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And that's what Deuteronomy is. They're on the banks of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And this is one last giving of the law and a recounting of that as a way of one final instruction. And so he says in verse five of chapter eight, he says, thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. The Lord's discipline is a model for us. And if we look back at verse one, he says, all the commandments that I am commanding you today, again, this is Moses talking to these, this this next generation that's gonna enter the promised land. All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Remember that corrective discipline that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, let you be hungry, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Those were both, he gave a reward and he withheld things for, for a specific reason, that they would understand that they need to be dependent on the Lord. Verse four, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. God provided for them. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of your Lord, your God, to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord, your God, is bringing you into the good land, the land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing a land whose stones are iron and whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Beware that you do not neglect or forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments or his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. So seeking to correct their unbelief, the wayward attitude that they had because of their unbelief, as a consequence of sin, he did many things as a corrective discipline. And to prepare them, for the, prepare this next generation to enter the promised land, a lot of these things were formative training to prepare them to, to, to love him when they entered the land. So this is a good picture of how God disciplines his children. God was preparing them for the future. That's Old Testament. Now, if we look over in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm gonna flip over there with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 11, we'll see the principles of God's discipline. Good picture there in Deuteronomy 8. Now we see the principles of God's discipline. We're gonna look at both of these and then we're gonna walk through a few questions pertaining to these and hopefully glean some good information on how God's discipline can shape how we discipline our kids. He says there, in starting in verse 4, he says, "...you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin." That's the context here, right? Is, is striving against sin. "...and you have forgotten the exhortation which was addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives." It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, but if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, the fathers, Disciplined us for a short time as seen best to them. Not perfect like God, but in a way that seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Amen to that. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay, so let's, at, let's look at these two passages of Scripture. And let's ask a few, a few questions here. The first one is, what is God's relationship with his children? What is God's relationship to his children? Well, first, it's a loving father. A loving father. He had loved Israel. He had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. He had set his love on them and they were his children. He had a special love from that, for them. And he has loved us. He has sent his lo- His son to die for us so that we can be a part of his family. If you have been born again and, and you have put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins and you've been born again, you have been removed from the courtroom, removed from God's judgment, and he has placed you in his family, and he is now your father. You are his son. That is the relationship that we have. Now, there are many aspects of being a child of God and in, in having the God of all creation, the Almighty, as your heavenly Father. Many, many aspects to that, but one of them is that He disciplines you. Okay, so God's relationship with His children is that of a loving Father, and it's also that of authority. He is the boss. You can't get around that. You know, so many parents today simply want to be their child's friend, maybe their advisor. You know, their shopping buddy or their fishing buddy or someone that you can take to sports games and just hang out with. Well, God says that you are their authority. So don't feel bad when you give them instruction. Right, you're the boss. They need to do that. Don't feel got bad when you get, tell them what to do or what not to do and expect them to do it. Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's exactly what God does to us he's the authority he has the right to tell us what to do and he will discipline us if we do not do it and we need to lovingly do that as well as we look at think through these verses the second question is who is disciplined by God who is it that God disciplines well God disciplines every one of his children whom he loves You saw that in Hebrews 12 verses 6 to 8 you know you think back to the Old Testament God did not discipline the Egyptians in the same way that he disciplined the Israelites because he had set his love on them. They were different. They were set apart. He disciplines those who are his sons. We saw that in, in Hebrews 6 through 8. If we are without discipline of which we have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and you are not sons. This is a mark of who you are in your relationship with God is that he cares enough to discipline you to call you to obedience and chasten you so that you do that. And that is a mark of who we, what we need to be. God's discipline takes place in the context of a broader loving relationship of a father. Our discipline takes place in that same context of a, of a loving parent in the context of a family. And it's an expression of belonging to the family, right? So I have a son, 11-year-old son named Gus, great kid Gus had a friend over and you know they wanted to go play in the creek out behind our house and I said no you can't do that and so I left and I came back and I found out that he and his friend had disobeyed me and gone to play in the creek I'm going to come home and I'm going to discipline my son I'm not going to discipline his friend because this he's not my son I mean I might tell the son's the other kid's father or whatever so that he can deal with it but my responsibility is to discipline my child, and it is a, a part of him being my son. As he do that, as he would do that, and you would never also leave out one of your children to discipline. If you had two kids and they both disobeyed and did the same thing, they're both your children, and you took one of them in and you disciplined them, you spanked them for disobeying you, and you didn't disobey, you didn't discipline the other one. At first, they might say, wow, I got away with that. That's sweet, right? Because we saw that discipline for a moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. That kid that got away with it might think, wow, I didn't get spanked. But after a while, he'd begin to think, what's going on here? How come my dad's not taking the time to discipline me? No, God disciplines all of his kids. It's a mark of who we are in him. And we're not gonna leave out one of our kids. If you are not disciplined, you're being treated like an orphan. You know, Some people say, you know, I love my children too much to discipline them. I love them too much to discipline. What's wrong with that statement? In what way? Okay, it is a stupid statement, but what, what makes it particularly stupid? Yeah. You're setting them up for failure on a spiritual level when God tells them to go and do something. It's going to be much more detrimental than, than when they disobey God than they disobey the Yeah, that's right. You know, the, those who say that and you kind of get you understand why they're saying cuz it's not fun, right? It doesn't it's not joyful in the moment. It causes sorrow in the moment. But ultimately those who say that is they love themselves too much to discipline their kids. It takes too much time they don't want to feel bad for causing that sting on their kids they don't like doing it they like themselves more than their kids now obviously there's a lot more expressions about being a father than just disciplining but you know being their love they're delighted in they're protected they're cared for we meet their needs but one of the one of the marked characteristics is that we discipline our kids yes Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. You take the time to do that because of the consequences, because of the ramifications. If you don't, if you let it go, you're gonna, you're going to deal with this in a in a way that you can, and then trust the Lord. We can again, we cannot change our children's heart. We trust the Lord, but we need to be faithful as parents to, to discipline our kids. So who does God discipline? He, discipline? he disciplines every one of his children whom he loves. Next question, why does God discipline his children? Um, look at verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 12, and let's get some audience participation a little bit more. Why um, does God discipline his children? Anybody. Okay. Like a coach for a team, but right? they want to do well and want them to do well. too. Yeah. If are training for a championship, um, you want to train your players, you know, they have to run. Yeah. this correction for training, uh, specifically for parents training in righteousness, right? We're training our kids in righteousness. And when you look at a coach, um, the coach is not equal to the player. The coach could be less than the player, but they're training the players to be better. Like you don't have to be Michael Jordan to train Michael Jordan. Right? And so Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and with that kind of analogy, you wouldn't want your kid to be a part of that team. I mean, the coach shows up, but doesn't really make him train, doesn't make him run. It's like, well, I could, I could put him on a better team that's going to make him work, make him do hard things. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. To share in the holiness is to grow in Christ likeness so we discipline and we train them so that they become more like Christ, which is the goal that we are all striving for to be like Christ. Bingo. That's right. You guys you guys hit it right. Hit the nail right on the head. Why does God discipline his children? Well, for well, why isn't this working? Ah for their good and maturity as preparation for the future, right? So what are the specific goals when God disciplines us is one, that we will obey him and obey authority. There we go. That we will obey him, obey his authority, you know, Um, so we will be subject to and respect God and live under His authority, right? So we would understand that I am not my own master and I never will be, right? I don't always get what's best for me. I don't always get what I want. Kids need to understand that they're not the authority. They're not gonna always get what they want. Help them understand that the ultimate authority that they need to obey is God. They are obeying me because my authority comes from the Lord, Beth and Beth and I have tried, to varying degrees of success, to help our, un, our children understand that they will always be under authority. And that was already mentioned, right? Success in life, and by success, I mean a life that honors the Lord. Success in life comes from understanding the fact a why is God honoring faithful life, a family maybe one day that honors the Lord? comes from understanding that you are under authority. Right now, it's parents, teachers. One day, it's going to be your boss. It's going to be the police or the government. And ultimately, if you become the president of the United States, you're still subject to scripture. You're still subject to God, who is the ultimate real authority. And rebellion and bucking against that authority does not lead to a faithful, wise, fruitful, productive life. And so we are disciplined, God disciplines us so that we will recognize his authority, recognize our authority first and that our authority comes from him and they must obey him. Bruce Ray says this, he says, our motive for discipline is to bring our children into a subordinate relationship to the authority of the living God and not just ourselves. Our authority comes from God and he gives us the the right to tell our children what to do. If we seek to make our children submit to us alone, we have failed in our biblical responsibility. Rather, God says that we are to bring them into submission to him. All of our discipline, our nurture, our instruction and warning must be framed in this context to bring them to a point where they become obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. That shapes what we're doing. So God's specific goal is that we would obey him his authority with humility obedience is the goal and the other goal is that they that they our kids would be like him like we would be like him this is specific holiness which which was just mentioned he says in verse 10 they were disciplined for a short times as seen best of them but god disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness so that we would be like him that we would learn to master our cravings and our temptations and not have them master us. We are not a slave to the craving, a slave to the temptation. I don't have what I want and that's okay, that's a good thing because God gives me everything that I need. He knows what's best for me. And to share in God's affections, to do what God does, to love what he loves and hate what God hates. And ultimately, verse 11 of chapter 12 says that we will enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness that comes from holy living. Yes? So God disciplines us, but also gives us grace. Yes. So when do we give our, like, how does that, what does it Yeah, that's a very good question. So um, there have been many times in my home that my kids have sinned or done something disobedient. And, you know, it's something that, you know, is a spanking offense, maybe, you know, and I go in and talk to them, and I can recognize the fact that they um, understand what they did, they're asking for forgiveness, they've confessed their sin, and I'll say something like, you know, this deserves a spanking. You know, I've told you every time you lie, you deserve a spanking, but I'm going to show you grace. God is gracious with us, and he sent his son to die on the cross, and, and so, I'm not gonna spank you this time, right? And it is showing that grace, it's a kind of a picture. But again, I don't do that very often because that discipline is a loving thing. But every time we discipline, every time we spank our kids, we do need to bring in that element of grace and that element of the fact that this is just a temporary thing. Your sin ultimately deserves hell. What does every sin deserve according to our catechism? The wrath and curse of God, But God in his grace and his mercy gave you a parent that's willing to to help you right now with this very small, insignificant, although it feels bad now, sting, so that he can maybe use this to transform your heart. What you need is Jesus and you can just pivot over to God's grace. But every one of our interactions when we spank our kids goes towards that. It's never, you know, when when we have spanked our kids, it's never just a punishment. It's always attached to um, an element of grace. So I don't know if that answers your question. But, um, so I have, I have done that exact thing before, but that's not the normal pattern with how Beth and I um, would, would go through this process. And we'll get into a lot of that um, next week. Next question. What are the means of God's discipline? What are the means of God's discipline in Deuteronomy 8 to 12? Well, there's several of them teaching and instruction that's really what the whole book of deuteronomy is is moses preaching a sermon giving them instruction remember what happened you know you youngsters to your parents they've all died because they disobeyed remember what happened and obey blessings come from obedience curses and discipline come from disobedience so he uses teaching and instructions he uses rules consequences and rewards in the wilderness, as a consequence, 40 years as rewards, you know things like their the soles of their shoes not wearing out. They were this faithful generation was going to enter the promised land, and it was rules accompanying consequences um, that helped deal with that. He also used circumstances that shape and develop and test their character. He allowed them to go hungry and thirsty. Now, I don't recommend withholding a meal from your kids or whatever, right? You're not going to eat until you do this, 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 and this. But that's what God did. He's like, he withheld things to, to shine a, you know, the sun, a, a hot sun on that to see as they were under pressure what was going to come out. And far too often it was complaint. And, and so he used that to discipline them. He withheld things from them. They were hungry, they were thirsty. He allowed them to go through difficulty to develop and test their character. He allowed hardship in their life. and it's okay to make your kids uncomfortable, make them do hard things, allow uncomfortable things in their life that they don't want to do, like clean out the garage and things like that. Hey, you might have you're going to have a house one day. you're going to have to know how to do this. Um, he used provision and withholding. You know um, there's wisdom in in um, withholding things from our kids. And there's wisdom with letting them endure difficult things. Um, You know, if you're always rescuing your kids from difficulty, maybe they have a difficult teacher, right? Just a a hard, you know, teacher that they don't like and you just run in there and you rescue them from that and you talk to the principal and we need to get them in a different class. That's not always the right choice. Now, you're gonna have to use some discernment there. Maybe there is an actual issue there. But if you're always rescuing them from that, or maybe they're on a bad baseball team and you want them to win, and so you go in there and you take them from that team with the coach that, that they don't like and they don't have friends and you put them on the good team, they're not learning to go through difficult things. Right? You don't always have to rescue them right, right away. God gave it forty years of difficulty um, for the for for the children that he loved. I mean, maybe your family is enduring something difficult right now. Um, But patience and endurance, um, being formative through that time, learning to trust the Lord is part of what you're probably learning through that. And provision and withholding. Sometimes God said yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes it's okay for us to say no to our kids. So those are the means that God used for discipline that we should model. And next question is how does God discipline what are the characteristics of his discipline well as we already talked about a little bit he does this perfectly you know we do this imperfectly Hebrews 12 10 again says that we um, disciplined as seemed best to us right God always does this right which is actually really really comforting because he's disciplining us right now in whatever situation you might be in, you might be in a hard deal. He is doing this perfectly. He makes no mistakes, right? He didn't say after, after the, the Israelites sin, he said, you're gonna spend 40 years in the, in the wilderness. He didn't say, oh man, I wish I had said 40 days. Now I gotta deal with this for 40 years. He never makes that mistake. Um, he never goes back on what he said. Now, I've done that several times. I've, I've talked to my kids and I've... And I've you know, said, okay, you're not gonna be able to do this for two weeks. And afterwards they're like, oh, well now I get to, you can't drive the car for two weeks or whatever. Well, now I get to drive them around for two weeks. I'm like, that was kind of dumb. You know, which I'm willing to do if that's the best thing, but I could have picked something different, right? So I go back and like, well, I wish I would have said a week instead of two weeks, because in two weeks you've got this thing going on and I've got this thing going on. No, that never happens with God. He's always doing this perfectly, right? And the key to that is patience, Okay, he is always patience, patient with us. Not trying to change things all at once. You know, sanctification for us is a lifelong endeavor. Gradual, long-term perspective is what we need as parents. We are not given glorified bodies right away when we're born again. For a lifetime, God sanctifies us. He patiently disciplines us. He patiently and graciously walks us through difficulties. That's the heart that we need to have. God also, like I said, doesn't react and say something that he doesn't mean. He does this perfectly. But if we apply patience, when we deal with our kids, we will have to go back fewer and fewer times and ask them to forgive us for our impatience. Okay, so we model God's discipline by being patient. and God is always patient. He is also consistent, right? He is always faithful, always faithful. You never have to wonder how God is going to respond. You never have to think, "Well, I hope God is in a good mood today because I just hope He responds to this in a way that's good." No, that's that's how we tend to be. You know, our kids, we we are not um, patient. We can be inconsistent. We can be unfaithful. We need to come and talk to our kids about that and ask them to forgive us when we when we do that. God is always faithful. He is always consistent. And never has to, we never have to wonder how he's going to respond to a certain things because he's told us in his word um, what his character is. God is patient. God is consistent, as we need to be. And he is intentional. God is thoughtful. There's always a reason behind what he is doing. God's not passive in his discipline. He is seeking out his children to mold them closer to the image of Christ. He's not passive, just waiting around. He's also not hyper scrupulous he's not harsh when we discipline particularly using the rod it always needs to be intentional always with an eye on something greater and that is the grace of god using that as an opportunity for the gospel so ask yourself several things here ask yourself how does our relationship with our children reflect god's relationship with his children How does your relationship with your children reflect some of these realities? What are you preparing your children for? When you interact with them, what are you preparing them for? You're always preparing them for something. You're always teaching and training them something. What are your specific goals for your children in light of of God's discipline of us? And how can you train and discipline them toward that end? But as we seek to discipline our children, we need to keep in mind God's discipline for us. And as Ephesians 5 1 says, we need to be imitators of God. And third, your discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of Scripture. Shaped by the warnings and exhortations of Scripture. So we do not neglect disciplining our children when they are young. Okay? Do not neglect disciplining your children when they are young Proverbs 19.18 says discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death so if you stand back and do nothing you are not allowing him you are allowing him to remain on that wide road that leads to destruction so doing nothing is not an option which we'll talk a little bit more about next week but you'll see it says there that we are to discipline while there is hope so what does that mean? Well, there's a time element here. Ultimately, the hope ends with death if they die in their sins, but there's also a time element here that you know there's always hope in Christ, but we need to discipline our kids while their hearts are moldable, and that is when they are young, while there is hope. Um, Proverbs 22, 6 talks about this too. It says, train up a child in the way they should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So how many of you guys have heard this verse quoted? You've heard this verse, verse quoted as a promise that if you do your part and you train up a child in, in a Christian home that when he's old, he might, not, he might reject the Lord for a while, but when he's old, he's going to come, come back to the Lord. You guys ever heard that? that um, okay. Well, it's very important to understand that this is a proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's a proverb. It's by and large true. It's kind of the normal way that life goes in God's world. But it is not a promise. The proverbs are not promises. They're principles. Okay, so this is not a guarantee that if you parent well, your kids are going to be faithful. Your kids are going to come to Christ. And it's also not proof of the opposite. That if your kids, when they get older, they don't follow the Lord, then you messed up as a parent. Because if you, you can take this, if you take this that way as a promise then you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. Again, we can't change our child's heart. It doesn't mean that if your children grow up and they don't follow the Lord that it's your fault or that you messed up. Good parents have children that rebel, and bad parents have children that come to Christ because it's God that does the work in their heart. So it's a it's a truism, it's by and large true, but it's not a promise. So we need to remember that when it comes to Proverbs 22.6. But there are some things in this verse that are very clear. And one of them is, it's clearly an admonition to train children. And it's clearly an admonition, admonition to train them when they are young. So we need to be training and disciplining our kids when they are young. So just real quick, there are three interpretations of this verse. Okay, and all of them point to the fact that we need to train our children when they are young. But the three are, this could be an encouragement. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, could be an encouragement to be sure to train up your child in spiritual things because, you know, by and large, he will eventually come back to it. And by and large, that's true. It's important, it's very important for us as parents to impart biblical truth, to call our kids to repent of their sins and trust alone in Jesus, and to model that as parents, to shape our kids' worldview, and by and large, they will remember that, and by and large, they god uses families god uses parents to bring children to repentance it's true so by and large it's true it could be could mean this to train up a child according to their unique personality or bents right god has given each child specific traits specific personalities and it's wise for us as parents to to use that right it's not a one size fits all you 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 know you wouldn't um treat every child differently and, and be harsh with one and kind with another or anything like that. But this could be an admonition to, to be wise and discerning when you're disciplining your kids and don't do everything the exactly same because they have specific pr- traits and personalities. Or this could be a warning to train a child according to his own way or basically let him do his own thing. He has a natural bent. You just let him do that. Allow them to have unlimited self-expression ex- just back off and let him decide. Uh, I, I know somebody that's doing that with spiritual things. He's like, hey, I'm not gonna make him, I'm not gonna tell him what to believe. I'm gonna let him believe whatever it is um, that, that he wants to. You know, I just don't wanna force feed that to him. That is being very neglectful as a parent. That is not bringing your, training, your child up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And this could be a warning not to do that. Because if you let a child go his own way, When he's old, he's probably going to keep going his own way because you never told him not to. Okay, so this verse might mean any one of those things, but it's all um, basically telling us that we need to train our children when they are young. It's an encouragement that faithful parents, by and large, lead to faithful kids. It's also a warning not to let your kids do whatever they want or could be used to tell us to be creative when we're dealing with each child but we do need to be more involved every day to make every minute count. Yes? So the scripture doesn't give age, but how young is young? Um, how young is a child? No, 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 like how young do you like start disciplining? Like? Um, how young would you start spanking your kid? Is that what you're asking? I mean, sure. Um, probably younger than you think. You know, when your child is able to be willfully disobedient and actively doing exactly what you don't want him to do, um, it's probably time to uh, start entering in some corrective discipline. And we, again, that's a good question. I keep saying this, but we're going to get into that a little bit more next week. So I'm really wanting you guys to come back next week. <laughs> um So this verse is telling us there's a unique time while you have kids in your home that you are responsible to do this, to be involved in their every day when they're really young, involved in their every minute of what they're doing. Be encouraged to make them, um, to to take that time and make the most of it. Um, And this is not meant to discourage you. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I've got older kids and I haven't done this like I'd like to. Well, today is a new day. Be faithful from today forward. Okay? So, We need to not neglect to discipline our kids when they are young. As we look at um, our discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of scripture, we need to be careful not to discipline in a way that provokes your children to anger. We talked about this from Ephesians 6, 4. We read that earlier. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So... um, And uh, Colossians 3.21 says this in kind of a parallel verse. It says, um, children do not provoke your children or exasperate them, which would cause them to lose heart. If we exasperate or cause our children to be angry or provoke them, it kind of sucks the life out of them. We don't want to do this. So um, as just a way to to talk through this now, um, how do parents provoke or exasperate their children? How do we do that? Well, John MacArthur has an excellent book about this, is What Does the Bible Say About Parenting? If you haven't read that, you should. And he goes through several things um, in that that we have time to more or less list here. But here are some ways that we as parents can exasperate or anger or um, provoke our children and cause them to lose heart. One is overprotection. Okay, if we are overprotective, you know, we are responsible to care and protect our kids. You know this world is getting seems like it's getting more and more dangerous. So we need to care and protect our kids. But too much of a good thing is also a bad thing. I yesterday I was taking my son to a basketball game, and the um, you know everyone's concerned about this weather. And so right in front of me was the guy that was spraying the the liquid on the pavement of the of the road, and I mean he was an overachiever. I mean, he was dumping this stuff on the road, so much so that I spun out trying to go. He, he sprayed so much stuff that it became slick on the road. Right? He put too much of it on there. And so overprotection, similar to that, and suffocating your son, never letting them go out of your sight, can exasperate them. So we need to be there to protect and nourish and care for our kids, but overprotection can can anger them, cause them to be exasperated or provoke them. Another thing we can do is overindulgence. Um, you know, a life of coddling without rules or boundaries, um, you know, is, is a way that we can do that. You know, go ahead and do whatever you, whatever you want. This is the opposite of overprotection. So we've got to find a balance here. Could anger your child. Also, favoritism showing favoritism over one child uh, rather than the other. You know, if you look in the Old Testament, you can see with Isaac and Esau, Jacob and Rebekah. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, uh, Jacob and Rebecca, that favoritism led to a lot of hardship. Jacob and Joseph also, you can see the fruit of favoritism there and that would cause um, some exasperation in your kids. Also unrealistic goals, setting the bar too high in sporting events, activities, never telling your kids that they did a good job but always just saying, hey, you need to get better and better and better and better, that can exasperate our kids. Being overly critical, when you consistently criticize and never reward, encourage, or, or notice the good behavior, you're always, you know, zeroing in on what they did bad. You did this and this and this, and you never encourage that good behavior. That can exasperate our kids. Also, neglect um, can, can do that. Also, condescension, you know, down on your kids, or punish them for being kids. Kids do silly things. We discipline sinful things, not childish things. You could also make your love um, conditional, right? Your children needs to do certain things and then you're gonna show them that you love them, that can provoke them. Also, confess, uh, conf- not confessing your sin. If you never tell your kids, hey, please forgive me, I was angry with you or I was impatient with you, that was wrong. Dad should never do that. Please forgive me. If you're never confessing your sins to your kids and you're always making them do that, you're not modeling Christlikeness. So be quick to ask for forgiveness from your kids when you have sinned against them. Um, and then lastly, and specific to what we're talking about, and we'll get into a little bit more, physical or verbal abuse. So don't spank in anger. Don't be overly aggressive when you spank your kids. Don't overpower your children with words either. You know, you can win the battle with your kids while they're young and lose the war because they'll become embittered against you. So those are some of the ways that we can um, exasperate our kids. And next week, we will get into recognizing the fact that the rod is the primary means that God has given you to discipline your kids. And we'll get into kind of the nuts and bolts of how we can do that in a way that is helpful and glorifying to God. Yes? With the rod, there's like two different definitions, right? One's a symbol and one's a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's used both, um, and so, you know, I mean, because it, me- and it also means both. So whether, whether, if you're using that as a rod to, to discipline them, then you're also instructing them at the same time. And so, um, let's, let me pray, and then we can talk about it a little bit more, if you can, just because our, our wonderful friends are coming to their Sunday school class. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this class. Lord, I pray that we would be parents that would honor you. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, Lord, that we would seek to honor you through our interactions with our kids. I pray that you would empower us to do that um, through your spirit this week. In Jesus' name, amen.